Good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Dan Meyer. I'd like to just spend a couple minutes with you setting up our conversation for today. As we go through this series, Naughty and Nice, and some of you, your minds are instantly correcting that to naughty or nice, right? We humans love to polarize things, don't we? We'd love to be able to have those black and white distinctions and be able to say, this is, this is what it is. This is truth. This is what makes me right. God answered that desire for self-righteousness by giving us real righteousness in Jesus Christ. So it's naughty and nice. And as we're looking at these different events of the Christmas story, for those of you that missed last week as Pastor Mark just kind of let us, as Papa Mark told us the, the Christmas story. Um, if you missed that, check it out on Vimeo. It uh, brought a lot of depth and a great timeline to, to what those characters, those people, those beating hearts, those souls that God cares about and that God used went through and experienced. Naughty and nice, it's, it's not just one or the other. It's, it's often and. And so as we try to figure out what truth is, we'll see that as we open God's word, that there are people that believed in their version of the truth. And the challenge for each and every one of us is to say, God, have your way with us. What is, what is your story that you're unfolding? Not just my interpretation of it. And so this morning, you're going to hear a little bit of a different setup for our conversation. You're going to hear from, from Rabbi Mark, and you're going to hear from Eric the Wise. As we go through our story in Matthew chapter 2, and these characters of the wise men and the religious rulers of the day. The religious rulers wouldn't walk five miles to Bethlehem to find the Savior, but the wise men traveled hundreds of miles. Those who were very close and held the truth pretty much ignored what was going on in their own neighborhood. But those that were Gentiles and were far from God who were, but were seeking truth spent months of travel trying to find revelation. Let's look at Matthew chapter 2. Listen to these verses as we read. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote, the prophet Micah. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them 
and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that um, as we dive into this story, as we see different sides, knowing that there are always multiple sides to a story, Lord, that you would illuminate our understanding, that you would help us to color and not just polarize with black and white. Lord, we ask that you would give us great wisdom this morning. We thank you that you're with us, and we thank you that you long to teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we are the outsiders. We are the magi. We are the wise men. How, how many of us were there? How many? Why? Says who? Your scriptures don't say that. We don't know if there were three. You don't know if there were three of us. Maybe there was more, but tradition has said that there are three. And maybe we were wise men. The, the, your word that says wise men is, is the word magus, which is where you get the word magician. But really what we were was astronomers and astrologers. And we sought the truth wherever we could find it. We didn't grow up with scriptures. We didn't grow up with a Bible. We didn't grow up with scrolls or written revelation of your God. We grew up in creation. And we grew up and we stare at the sky and we listen to the things around us seeking something. And one day, or in a series, in a, in a season, there starts to be rumblings of anticipation that something big is about to happen. We hear rumblings out of Roman culture, and we hear rumblings out of other ancient Near Eastern cultures that say, Something is going to be foretold in the stars. A ruler is coming. We have no idea what this means. But we seek the truth and we're hungry for something. And so we listen. The antenna go up and the eyes open and the ears become attentive. And then one day we see it. A star that maybe is supposed to be there, maybe it's not supposed to be there, but something about that star is different and it draws us. And then we start walking and we cross wasteland and deserts and mountains and we eventually come to this place. We are the outsiders. We don't look like religious people. And by Jerusalem standards, we're not religious people. We're more like hippies. We saw a star, so we just started walking, man. And we knock on the door of Bethlehem, and we're like, dude, 
There's a king. How'd you know? Saw it in the stars, man. We don't have anything to follow, so we open our eyes and we open our ears and we respond. And then later on, we find out really that this is not all this odd for this God called Yahweh. Because this God called Yahweh actually loves to do things and show up in unexpected places, right? Later on, when we actually read your Bible, we read Psalm 19 that says, the heavens, right, declare the glory of God. And we're like, we knew that. We could look up and see clouds and beautiful stars and go, there's something more to this life. And we heard about this guy named Paul who, who came along after this man named Jesus. He told a bunch of people once, hey, the God that we serve, Yahweh, you think he lives in a temple made of human hands? Where would you get that thought? This God, Yahweh, doesn't just live in a building. And we said, we get that. We encountered Yahweh and God so far away from Jerusalem that nobody even really knows where it was that we came from. We are the outsiders. And for all of the religious people that think that God lives in the four walls of the temple in Jerusalem or the four walls of Capital Circle Northeast, we say, you're wrong. Because this God that we have found and that you claim to pursue shows up in unexpected places. And that's the God that we sought because he's bigger than any box that we've ever seen. Shalom. Often the priests, the religious rulers in the first century uh, Christians give them, uh, uh, look at them disparagingly and put them in the, the naughty category. That they, they look at the wise men and uh, they're like, oh, they're so wise. And they saw it in the stars and, and they walked uh, hundreds of miles. And, and many times Christians will say, you know, why didn't the religious people who've been waiting thousands of years for this Messiah, why didn't they walk just five miles to Jerusalem just to even check it out? Well, from our perspective, from the rabbi's perspective, that that we were not people, uh, we were not first century hippies. In fact, uh, what you call the, the wise men, we actually thought as fools. Because we are people of God, of Yahweh, that we are people of the Torah, Scripture, which is God-breathed. That we are people of the mitzvah people of the commandments and who follow the commandments and that, that we, uh, our lives are the Torah and our lives are made up of the mitzvah. But let me suggest perhaps a few reasons why we didn't go. Number one, 
that our knowledge of the, the Torah, that, that it maybe it just made us intellectually arrogant. That we were dragged into this Gentile king's oval office and asked the question, rabbis, you know, these fools, these wise men came and they, and they said they saw a star and they're wondering where the Messiah is going to be born, the king of the Jews. So rabbis, do you, do you know? Do you know where the, the Messiah is meant to be born? Oy vey. Really? You dragged us all this way, King Herod, to ask us a question like that? Like everybody knows that. That is beneath us. And that, that, that these, these magi, these magicians, these wise men, you know, can't figure it out is just proof to us that they do not know what they're talking about. Because we are people of a Torah. We are people of the mitzvot. And everybody knows, and especially us who are scholars, know that, that he will be born in Bethlehem. Also, perhaps we were just spiritually indifferent. That we spent so much time reading the Torah and, and, and so in the Word of God the scripture that has been God-breathed, that, that, that we were just indifferent to what was happening around us. That, the, that we were people and we are scholars and we are people of the truth, but maybe we weren't people who actually believed. Or perhaps we were just culturally arrogant. We're God's chosen people. Not chosen by the way maybe Christians think about it, but chosen in a much different way. In a way that is rich in heritage. And, and who, who are these, these foreigners anyway? Showing up and telling us about the Messiah. Telling us about Yahweh. But ultimately... It's probably much simpler than that, why we didn't go, why we didn't walk five miles to check it out. Why didn't we walk just probably two hours to Bethlehem just to see? And perhaps the real reason was we were just busy. That during this time, as, we, as your good pastor last week told you, so insightful, might I add. That perhaps at this time was the time of Sukkot, one of the large pilgrimage uh, festivals of the Jews to Jerusalem. And also we know that, that it was time of a census. And that the population of Jerusalem and Bethlehem would have swelled at this time. And it was like Christmas and Easter for you Christians all wrapped up together. And there was so much ministry to do that perhaps 
We just didn't have the four or five hours to go and check out if Emmanuel, God with us, was truly with us. The Torah is our guide, and the mitzvot is our life. We are the outsiders, and you were too busy? Do you know how that sounds to us? We think about spirituality and a religion that is supposed to extend its hands to the hurting and the poor and the spiritually hungry and religious leaders that are too busy to acknowledge when the truth lands among them in their midst, that sounds ludicrous to us. If this is the most anticipated event, if this is the end of all your religion, the arrival of this baby, why wouldn't you stop? Why wouldn't you say, let's cancel the 11 o'clock gathering because something bigger is happening than that. I imagine you had your reasons. But we are the outsiders, and we are seekers, and we are hungry for the truth. But sometimes what we have found is that when we've come seeking the truth, we've come to Jerusalem or we've come to churches, and what we found is that the truth has been used to set up a wall between us and this God. And we find that well-meaning religious people have said, you must cross this barrier, you must understand, uh, you must look this way, you must sign on to a whole set of beliefs, and we are just saying we're seeking something. And you're using truth almost as a weapon <clears throat> or a barrier. And we outsiders ask ourselves, is that really what truth means? Because we've heard rumors uh, of this coming Savior and We've heard stories that he's going to be a man full of, of compassion and radical, radical efforts to, in, to bring in people like us. And in the midst and in the face of the Torah, which we get, I mean, we didn't, we didn't get that revelation, but we understand what something, when something means so much. But in the face of the Torah and in face of knowing the 600 and some laws, we hear stories of this man named Jesus, this Emmanuel that you're so hungry for. And we hear that he's gonna declare something that says, he's gonna stand up in the midst of everybody and he's going to say, I am the way and the truth. And the life. And we wonder what that does when truth is a man and not a book. We understand human nature is to crave the book and to crave the Torah and to say, this is what 
truth is. But your Emmanuel stands up and he says, right, that's important. But guess who the ultimate truth is? Me. And then he also says something that he says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And we outsiders have thought so many times about the way the truth hasn't been used to set us free. We we've, hear stories of how sometimes your Bible says that God calls us into the wide open spaces of grace. But we see churches and religious people that use truth as a barrier or even a weapon to say, you can't come in. We crave this truth that sets you free. And we believe that if we seek the truth and seek it earnestly, we will find God's truth in this man named Jesus. Because we ultimately believe that God is bigger than what? All of our boxes. Tradition. <laughs> Tradition. I'm the papa. The papa. Tradition. If this is your Messiah, where is your stories? We, Yahweh's people, people of Noah and Abraham, of Moses, of Isaac, of Jacob, you know nothing of these stories. Where is your stories of a shepherd boy going and, and slaying the giant? Where are your stories of Saul? Where is your stories of King David? Where are your stories? That we, the people of Yahweh, that our lives are bathed in our traditions, in our stories, and your star is not part of our tradition. Your baby in a, a Sukkot, Sukkot is not part of our tradition. You see, we are looking for a king, not a pacifist. We are looking for a king who's going to restore the kingdom of David, to restore the glory, to overthrow the oppressors of the Roman Empire, and put us back in our rightful place to rule in an earthly empire with an earthly king. Our lives go from a series of stories and festivals. Every year, we celebrate Passover to remember our captivity in Egypt and how God, Yahweh, set us free. Every year, we celebrate Shavuot, 
which reminds us of the mitzvah, of the, of the commandments that were given to us on Mount Sinai through Moses. Every year, we celebrate Sukkot to remind us when we were wandering, wandering aimlessly through the desert, wanting to go to the promised land. We are people of the Torah, and the Torah be our guide. And the, mit, uh, the mitzvot be our life and tradition is our culture. We are the outsiders. And we may not have your stories, but we know your stories. And you say that you're the chosen people, and we understand that. And sometimes we regret maybe not feeling as connected as, as you do, but we also have read your scriptures, and we know that your God has this strange tendency in his stories that you trumpet so, so well. And you even mentioned the, the shepherd boy that slays the giant. His name was David. And David... Perhaps you don't remember this. David stands in the line of a lot of people in your God's story that are what we would call the B team. And we know that your God actually loves the B team. If you know anything about the ancient Near Eastern culture, you would know, or maybe even cultures today, you know that if you have a bunch of children, especially if you have a bunch of sons, which is the most favored child? <laughs> the nicest one. <laughs> or, or, the firstborn. <laughs> the firstborn, or the nicest one, gets the most of the inheritance. They get the blessing from the Father. They get the largest portion. Everything rides on the firstborn son, except not in Yahweh's case, not in God's case. Because from the very beginning of God's story in Genesis, we outsiders notice that God has this tendency to pass over the firstborn son in favor of the second son of the lesser children. So if you look at Cain and Abel, the first is passed over. Jacob and Esau, the first is passed over. Jacob and Isaac, then Joseph, who's not even the second born son. Even down to your David that you reference. King David, the model for, for God's Messiah, the model for God's anointed one. When the prophet Samuel, this guy comes up and he's like, I come to this house, son of Jesse, Jesse, where's your kids? Jesse, dad, one of your sons is gonna be king. Jesse rolls them all out. One, two, three, four. The prophet Samuel's like, no, 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 no. You got any more? And Jesse's like, well, we got one more. He's out. He's like, he wasn't even worth it to be in the, in the lineup. Samuel's like, oh, go get him. David comes in. Samuel's like, 
you're the one. And he's not first. So we outsiders actually get the idea that like you can be chosen, but in your God story, if you're chosen and you're first, you better watch out because God has this thing where he's gonna take the lesser and the outsider and the ones who arrive late to the party and he's gonna say, come on in. And I think what we've noticed is that Religious people who think they're chosen often think that they are chosen for a place of privilege in the world. And what we outsiders notice is that maybe what your God and what our God desires is that when you're chosen, you acknowledge it as a place of service that welcomes in people, that welcomes in the outsiders, the people who have no idea who God is, who people who just get up because they see a star or they read something in a book or they hear something on the radio and that something that triggers something in their lives that says, there's gotta be something more to this life. So they get up and they drive across town or they walk from Persia to Jerusalem and they show up on your doorstep. When we show up on your doorstep, we don't wanna be walloped with your Torah or your tradition because we think there's something more to this world, because we believe that there's a God who is bigger than our boxes. And here we come to the point. We are God's chosen people, and you think that God wants the B team. And this... B should probably be changed to grace, and this is probably the, to a G, and the, which stands for grace, and this is probably where the biggest differentiator comes, and probably why we didn't go. Because in Christianity, that, that, that faith is given as a gift, but in Judaism, it is through reason and the mitzvah, that we have the Torah, the mitzvah, the, the tradition, and the midrash, our, 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 our commentaries, which informs our truth. When you view Moses, you think that God showed him grace, but our Torah tells us that Noah was a righteous and gentle man in his generation, and it was through his fulfillment of reason and following the Masat, that, that he was following the principles of God, that he are in favor. When you look at Abraham, you think Abraham wasn't doing anything. He was just walking around. And God chose him to be a blessing for many. And that concept fits very nicely in the, in the, in the theology of grace of the, in the Christian religion. But, but, but for us, who are God's chosen people, for us who are rabbis and priests and religious rulers, that this idea of grace, that we are not chosen by grace, but we are chosen because we did earn it. And we earn it through our reason 
We earn it through our study. We earn it by our careful following of the 613 laws of Moses. Our midrash, our our commentary tells us two stories of Abraham that perhaps you have never heard. You think that Abraham was just wandering around in the desert, but our, our teachings teach two different stories that, that tell us why Abraham was probably picked. Number one is that, that, that Abraham actually found God. God did not find Abraham. There's a story in our Midrash that, that Abraham at a very unusual age, very young, was walking and talking, and his parents kind of freaking out, put him in a cave to kind of keep him out of the way so he didn't freak anybody out. And he was sitting in the dark cave, and he was wondering, what power, what supreme power in the universe is there that will protect me? And in the Midrash, it says that the the sun, he saw the sun outside of the cave opening. And he said, aha, the sun is the supreme power. And I will worship the sun. And then that evening, the moon came and gobbled up the sun. And he said, aha, the moon is the supreme power power in the universe, and I will worship the moon. And then the next morning, the sun comes back, and Abraham, Abram, in his cleverness, realized that these were created things, and that the supreme God, Yahweh, was the creator, sustainer of all things, and he was the supreme power, and he would worship him. And thus, Abram was chosen, and God gave him the name Abraham. Our Midrash also tells of another story of when Abram was a child, and his father was an idol maker. And it was part of Abram's job, his chore, to bring the food to the idols every evening. And his father had a one big idol, and then he had smaller idols. And Abram knew this as foolishness. But he also was a good son, and he honored his father and mother. And through his cleverness, he devised a plan he decided that he would put all the food in front of the biggest idol and then smash all the little ones. The next morning, when the papa comes in and he sees all the smashed idols, he calls in Abram. Abram, why did you smash all the little idols? And Abram lies and says, I didn't do it. The big idol smashed all the little idols. And the papa says, that is foolishness. Idols can't do anything on their own. And God chose Abram. Not through grace, 
but through cleverness. And perhaps this is why Yeshua, Jesus, doesn't fit into our paradigm. It is why perhaps the outsiders saw the truth and saw the stars and walked hundreds of miles where we could not walk five. Eric the Wise. Yes. Come hither since... Your we, people walked hundreds of miles. You can walk a little can bit walk more. The stage. Obviously, I can't be bothered to come to you. No. Can we sing more fiddle on the roof songs? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I had I had a couple thoughts, you know, about um, as 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 we're talking. I mean, obviously, what we're trying to communicate is that um, we tend to put things in stories, in these stories that we're so familiar with, we tend to put people in boxes, and it's really easy to look at the wise man and be like, yeah, wise man, and be like, boo, religious leaders. But the truth of the matter, like, like it's kind of ironic that, you know, I think I have a tendency to be a little bit more on the, the, the precepts that Mark was putting forth. I love tradition, for instance. Like, you know, I, I love being grounded in history. But whenever history and tradition becomes a barrier to keeping people from pursuing God, that's a problem. And I think that's just something I need to own up to in my life and in the way I view God. So, And, and I think one of the most important things about this series, and, and I've done this you know, my whole life, is we tend to look at these characters and we dehumanize them and we just make them you know, two-dimensional. They're either naughty or they're nice. And, and we look at the... It, the wise men, and we're like, oh, they're wise, and the and and the religious people, you know, you know, they're they're naughty. They didn't go, and things like that. But it's not that simple at all. That these are are real people facing, you know, real circumstances, and and they're and they're seeking. And I think it's funny too that that us Christians today. We're a heck of a lot more like the religious rulers than we are the wise men. Because, I mean, could you think if, like, I had some flaky person come in here and start talking about stars and, and, and you would all leave, or most of you. There's a few of you that'd be like, woo, woo. But, uh, but, but in the story when we're like, you know, lazy religious rulers and everything, and I think of that. I think that the real power of the series as we go forward is, is rediscovering the Christmas story for the humanness of it and, and connecting ourselves and like, you know what? We exist in a multicolored, multi-textual world, and, and this, this story is so much more complex and so much more beautiful, and... and that that grace, uh, you know, as, as we understand it as Christians, uh, as as demonstrated by Christ, that that we all live in under yeah. that. Yeah, I yeah, and I got one one more one more thought, and this this occurred to me I don't know last night or this morning. So like we we you know again look at the wise men we're like go wise men you know good traveling you know 
uh, good seeking and, and boo religious leaders. You wouldn't even walk whatever five miles of what you said. But you know what the real point of it that occurred to me is? It's not that the wise men went seeking. It's not that the religious leaders didn't go seeking. It's that God went seeking us, yeah. you know? So it's like however long anybody traveled or didn't travel, the real amazing thing to me is that actually God was the one that comes after us. Cool. That's yeah. a good place to, to land the reindeer. Yeah. So, that's next week. I'm going to pray. There's going to be reindeer next week? No. Don't not. miss. <laughs>